there's the feeling of contentment. Yes. Uh, where where does the guilt come in for that? Like, did you feel you know guilt that you were able to move forward and you know leave Gail behind in, in many respects? The first day you find yourself uh, not crying, you feel guilty. The first day you go a couple of hours without remembering her, you feel guilty. Uh The first day you laugh again, you feel guilty. Uh The first day people say, it's good to see your smile again, you feel guilty. Uh So guilt is an ever-present reality throughout the entire process, especially as you get better. Uh The the truth is, when when we love greatly, we grieve greatly. And grief becomes the tribute we pay to the person we have lost. You are listening to the Concierge Minister Podcast, a place to grow, learn, and be inspired as you discover God's purpose for your life. Here's your host, the pastor you've always wanted without the church, Dr. Kumar Dixit. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Concierge Minister Podcast. I'm so glad that you're sticking with me. I think we're up to like two listeners now. So that's really, really good stuff. We're excited to, that you can join us. I'm thrilled to have a guest, um, someone that I've known for a, a little while, Elder Mike Tucker. He is elder because he's older than me. And, <laughs> and these days, um, Mike, you know, he's for like ever, Mike has been the leader of a television show called Faith for Today. And he recently retired and they gave him like an old person title called That's right. uh, Emeritus, right? Speaker mm-hmm. Emeritus. Like, Mike, doesn't that make you feel old? It does make me feel old. Someone told me that Emeritus was a Greek word that meant works without pay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And I found that to be true. So. <laughs> well, I mean, I wish our listeners could, could see you. You look very, very young, but I, I think it's great that you have that title and you're still involved with that that ministry. So that's that's really awesome. Also, I think uh, we'll talk about this at the end, but you're also involved with a local church plant and that's, yes. that's re- very, very cool. So I, before we start, I just want to say something to our listeners about Mike because he's one of the most approachable people that I have met. And just a quick story, you know, this is a guy who's been traveled the planet. He has spoken. He's on TV for millions and millions of people. And I actually bumped into, like literally bumped into Mike about a year ago. We were, where were we? It, it, it was somewhere in New Mexico. Um, yeah. And you had just finished lunch and I was bumped into you, into you and I said, hey, do you want to have lunch? And you said, well, I just finished lunch, but let's go do it. And we went and had lunch for a couple hours and it was great. Yeah. It was really great to connect. So yeah. I just love how approachable you are, Mike, and, and, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you, sir. It's good to be here. So we're beginning a new, uh, new series called Life After Death. And I wanted to ask you to, to join this podcast because, you know, you've been married forever. And <laughs> thank you <laughs> to, to a, a wonderful lady named Gail. Tell us a little bit about you and Gail and how long you guys have been married for. Gail and I were married for 40 years, uh, three months, 13 days, and three hours. Wow. Uh, to be precise. Um, and uh, we were partners in ministry. Not only did we raise two daughters, but we, uh, we pastored together, we worked together, we did television together, we traveled, did seminars together. Um, we were together probably 90, 95% of the time, uh-huh. uh, traveling almost always together. Um, she was my best friend. Um, she was a, an amazing minister uh, with an amazing, uh, she was intuitive about ministry more than anybody I've ever met. Uh-huh. 
um, and great presentation skills, writing skills, music skills, you name it. So uh, we, we were married for 40 years before she uh, passed away. And, and she got a diagnosis that was very, very short-lived. I mean, yeah. she found out and it was very, not very much long after that she passed away. Tell me about That's that. Right. We were in Vancouver, British Columbia, doing a seminar called Mad About Marriage for someone named Kumar Dixon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were together. That's right. That's right. And he had organized the seminar the day before. It was uh, March 3, the day before we, we left, and Gail had had a numbness in her right hand. Uh-huh. And it, it went away. She couldn't use it that morning, but the afternoon it went away. So we went ahead and got on the plane. I think it was March 4 and flew out to be with you, and we spoke over the weekend. But this time, the numbness came back, and it didn't go away. Uh-huh. We had a dinner, if I remember right, with a group of pastors in the area, and she had me sit on her right-hand side so I could help her if she needed it. Uh-huh. And then we talked to the pastors. The next morning, I preached, and then we, uh, we did a seminar for about uh, three and a half hours, four hours. She did that in high heels, holding the microphone always in her left hand because if she put it in her right hand, it would have fallen to the floor. Wow. And that seminar, we'd done, this, that was the 121st time we had done that seminar. Mm. And I knew that her presentation was off about a quarter of a beat. That's about all. And no okay. one else could have figured that out. No one yeah. would have known it, but I knew it. And um, I remember at that event, after the seminar was over, over, I asked you to pray for her because I said, something's wrong. She doesn't want to go to the hospital here in Canada. So when I get her home, I'm taking her to the hospital. And you're the only person I told that. So we got on a plane, went home. I took her directly to um, an ER. They took her in, did CAT scans. The first diagnosis was strokes, which we couldn't figure out. She had no risk for that. But after another 10 days of a couple of hospitalizations, CAT scans, MRIs, and, and a biopsy, we got the diagnosis on about March 16, March 17 of stage four pancreatic cancer with involvement in the liver. Hmm. When they say involvement, when I looked at the MRI, it was incredible the, uh, the size of those masses, and we'd had no real symptoms prior to that. Mm-hmm. And they sent us home to die. Yeah. And so March 17, uh, again, I've done hospice chaplaincy like, like you have done. And so we went home and eventually signed up for hospice, but at first we didn't. We just handled it ourselves and then signed up for hospice. And she passed away on April 10. So we were at home about 24 days, if I remember right, prior to her passing. We handled her pain with um, Tylenol and Advil right until she went into a coma Friday morning on, let's see, 10, 9, that'd be about the uh, 7th, uh, April 7. And um, then we started oral morphine once she was unconscious to make sure that she was comfortable. Then she died on the afternoon of April 10, which is a very, that's a pretty quick thing. We, the fact that we handled her pain with Advil and Tylenol is a miracle in and of itself because pancreatic cancer can be very yeah, um, it's very painful. Ter- terribly debilitating and yes. so so filled with pain. Yeah. So how do you, how do you deal with that? Like you know, most people who get you know even even a stage four pancreatic cancer diagnosis often have at least six months to live. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you guys had less than thirty days to kind That's of right. get, get this in order. And here's your wife, who you've been with mm-hmm. for forty years. Mm-hmm. She's fairly young. You're assuming you guys are going to have live into your twilight years, I'm assuming. Of course. So, so of course. How, what, what happens in those 20-some days? 
Well, first of all, your head reels. And then you, for me, I go back to all the, the training I've had and the experience I've had as a chaplain and a counselor and a pastor, uh, dealing with loss and anticipating loss and uh, anticipatory grief. And so we began to process that together. Um, there are so many family members and friends that my job be, became basically managing visits so that um, we wouldn't wear her out. We had to say no to so many people who she would have loved to have seen, but we didn't have the, the, the uh, she didn't have the strength to do that. Uh-huh. And so we managed care, managed visits, and spent the time together. Uh, my staff at Faithful Today cleared my calendar for three months, wow. thinking it would be at least that long, and of course it wasn't that long. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, we we just did our best to manage and talk it through. I asked her at one point because you know I'm I'm the hospice chaplain, right? I did that, and I've helped people anticipate their death. And so I said, so you know, this is what I've done for years: help people get ready for death. Do you need me? She said, mm-hmm. no. I said, okay. <laughs> she said, uh, are you are you angry? She said, why would I be angry? I've had 60 years of life uh, with immaculate health. Some people never get a day. I've had 40 years of a great marriage and ministry. She went on about her family and friends and extended family. She said, should I be angry that all that lasted 60 years and not 80? Mm -hmm. That would seem to be ungrateful to me and I won't be ungrateful. Wow. And it's That's like an incredible outlook. Yeah. It did not surprise me that that was her outlook. What surprised me is that I'd already thought of that. Mm -hmm. That's how I felt as well. Uh-huh. And normally my, my response to something of this nature would be anger, uh-huh. but there was no anger. It was just simply, we've been blessed. And so that's where we'll go with this. Yeah. And she certainly felt that way. And so it made, it made the journey through those, those days easier. Um, and she died with her family beside her, both daughters, myself, and one of her sisters were at her side. Uh-huh. When she slipped away, we touched her, kissed her, talked to her, and um, uh, told her we would see her again and that it was all right. We were going to be okay. We gave her permission to, to give up and to, to rest if she wanted to. Oh. And so she did. She slipped away quietly on, uh, late in the afternoon of, of um, April 10. So, but the truth is that, you know, you can engage in, in anticipatory grief um, uh, dealing with that. And that's basically the process of imagining what this is going to be like without her around. And, and you yeah. can't fully do that. Uh, you just try to get your mind used to the idea this is happening, this is going to happen. So you accept that reality and then you start the life process of life review. You mm-hmm. remember the times together, good and bad, how you met, how you, uh, how you worked together, how you raised a family together. All those things come back to you and talk about them as you're able, but certainly you do the process of remembering. Yeah, and, um, and, and what was the stark difference? Like for me, um, when my mom died, she was in hospice and was on oxygen for about a year. Um, the, the moment she died around 6.40 in the morning, yeah. um, we turned off the oxygen machine yeah. and I couldn't believe how drastically quiet the yeah. entire room was. You know, yeah. there was always that hum, that white noise that was around you. Right. Um, You're listening to the Concierge Minister Podcast. You know, was there some kind of, you know, um, moment for you where you kind of realized, okay, Gail is gone, I'm here yeah. alone. 
It, it started to hit me when um, the funeral home came for her. Mm. And we were living in a condo at the time. And once they got her into the, the vehicle, I stood out uh, outside in Dallas and watched as they drove away. Mm. And uh, although my daughters were there at the moment, I knew they were leaving and going home that night. Yeah. And so watching that drive away uh, was a very painful moment, but the reality started to sink in. And then I went into, when they left, I went into an empty house mm-hmm. and, um, and got into an empty bed mm-hmm. and realized that, wow, this is, this is my life right now. Yeah. So that, that was, um, those moments were, were painful. It felt empty. The next morning when you wake up, you had to remind yourself that she's gone because the bed is empty and the, the hospital bed that was still there at that moment was, was empty. Um, uh, we brought in a hospital bed to help make her more comfortable in our room. And uh, go into the bathroom, there are her clothes and her toiletries and her makeup and everything else, you know, and realizing no one's going to use this stuff. Yeah. Um, and eventually have to dispose of it. So going downstairs and looking at her furniture she had bought and uh, pictures on the wall that she had hung and her pots and pans. I mean, you know, it just yeah. begins to hit home with everything you do. And then it's a, uh, the inescapable reality. Mm-hmm. Um, um, in fact, I, I walked my way through grief, I say. I walked, uh, I'd walk up to 12, 14 miles in a day. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, I had time off, so I walked. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I did that in part for health and to busy myself, but in another part, just to get out of the house. Yeah. Because everything there reminded me of her, and I, I, I didn't want to sit there. Yeah, every physical object is yeah. a reminder of her. Exactly. And, can, and it reminds you of where you were when you bought it and how you brought it into right. the house and those shared memories that you have together. All those things. So yeah. that reality started to hit. And of course, with every day, with every new event, uh, the reality drove itself home even further. Mm-hmm. Uh, first time you go to church. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, the funeral itself is, was a really interesting event. Um, and then you go to church and from there, um, you know, everything you do. Yeah. Uh, then when I finally started traveling again for work, which is what we used to average about 180 days a year on the road yeah. for work. And so first time I get into a plane by myself um, and get a rental car and check into a hotel, um, all those things are reality. Uh, I mean, it, it, you can't escape it. Yeah, and I think it's especially punctuated because you both were also business partners together. Yeah, so you work right. together, travel together, and right. now you're doing it. Um, alone. Right. You're listening to the Concierge Minister podcast. Coming up. Can you can you describe kind of the that period, you know, that year after her death? You know, what, were you alone or were you lonely? You're listening to the Concierge Minister podcast. If you want to support this unique ministry, you can make a contribution through Patreon. Become a monthly donor or one-time giver. Your contribution allows Concierge Minister to provide new resources to help you live your best life. Just visit the show notes to find the link to Patreon. Can you can you describe kind of the that period, you know, that year after her death? You know, were you alone or were you lonely? Uh, I I was more alone than lonely. 
okay. uh, at first. Although there came a time when, when loneliness began to be uh, a reality as well. But at first it's just the immense pain of being a alone, mm -hmm. of not having your partner be there with you. And uh, the realization that all these things that you used to do, now you're, you're doing them, but you're doing them alone once again. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's the painful part. Being, uh, being a, um, someone who's helped people through bereavement, I also knew that the rule of thumb for grief is the sooner and more intensely you grieve, the sooner you get better. The longer you put it off, the longer it takes and more painful it becomes. Mm -hmm. So I engaged in a process that I refer to as leaning into the pain. Mm. I would anticipate things that would be painful and I would do them earlier than I needed to in order, because grief is a bully. Um, it, will, <laughs> it will surprise you and slap you around when you think you're doing well and you're doing something new and all of a sudden, whop. And so I wanted to at least take some initiative and strike a first blow. And that's just more my, my personality. I don't wait to be hit, I hit first. <laughs> so right. if I know if, if fight's coming, I'm going to lay the first blow. I'm sorry. But so, yeah. so um, I did not feel guilty about hitting grief. But um, so I, uh, I engaged in, I, I, I took a vacation to a couple of places we used to go. I took a cruise by myself. We, I, I used to say that I, I have business cards. We'll do seminar or preach for cruise. Right. We've taken a lot of cruises together but paid for very few of them because I was presenting or working or she was as well. Uh -huh. And so I took a cruise by myself and that was a very painful experience. I went to New York city. We used to do that from time to time. We'd um, use frequent flyer miles and hotel points and go watch a Broadway show or two. Uh -huh. And then there's an Italian restaurant just off Times Square that we used to eat at. And so I went back and I saw a show and I ate at times at the restaurant and I cried through it all. But in doing that, I kind of regained those things for me. I, I took the first, because every first stinks. Yeah. And so I initiated those first earlier than I would have needed to. I, I did a seminar before I needed to by myself. I, uh -huh. I preached earlier than I needed to um, in order to do those things. For me, that was helpful. Not so everybody's going to feel that way. Yeah. So you, I mean, you really did lean into that grief. I, I did. Mean, that, I mean, to me, it sounds like it, it would be just punishing to go to do several of those things that yeah. you did with Gail. But for you. It, it was punishing, but yet it was also helpful healthy and helpful, I felt. I wanted to experience the depths of it as quickly as I, could. I didn't want to hide from it, ignore it, uh -huh. or let it surprise me often. So that process for me was, was actually a, a healthy and, and helpful process. Not everybody wants to do that, nobody, everybody could or should, but that's what I did and it really, I think it paid dividends for me. And how did you feel being identified as a widower? I hated that. Mm -hmm. You know, and first time it came out of my mouth, I just, it was like I was speaking of somebody else. I thought, that stinks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, a, what a terrible word and what a terrible identity now to assume for myself, you know? And yet it's the reality. I was who I was, who right. I am. You know, it, you know overnight you, you're, you literally change characters into yeah. somebody else. Your identity has changed from a, a, a team to a me, mm -hmm. uh, from married to widowed. Uh, to, I mean, everything changes. So did and you, did you and Gail talk about life after her death? Like about we did. getting remarried or relationships or what that looked like? We did. Um, in fact, before she died, she, she dictated to me because 
the, the strokes had taken away vision and, and touch. And so she dictated to me letters to be read to our two grandchildren, to our son-in-law, we only had one at the time, and our two daughters. Mm. Um, kind of, uh, and she asked me to send those about six weeks after the funeral. So as I was doing that, she finally said, well, I need to write one to you. I said, well, that's awkward since I'm the one typing. <laughs> I said, besides, what are you going to say to me you haven't said every day for the last 40 years? She said, you may be right. And I got to thinking about it. I said, all right, just, just for argument's sake, <laughs> yeah. just for sense, what would, you, what would you say? And she thought about it, and she said two things, basically. She said, um, first of all, no regrets. Mm. And for me, that meant she knew that one of the things I would do is, is reflecting upon our marriage. And although we had a very strong marriage, I knew that I had not been perfect in this relationship. I teach marriage, but hello. Yeah. Um, yeah. And she knew I would have the tendency to beat myself up over that. And so she said, there are no regrets. You and I are good, period. Let it go. All right. So that was the first thing. The other thing she said was live our life. And that to me meant faith, family, and ministry. Those are the, the three things that we, we did. I wish I had good alliteration for that. <laughs> I got faith and family, but after that, ministry is the only other thing. Uh, but um, those were the three things. And so I said, all right. And I, and I endeavored to do that. Faith, family, and, and ministry are still key in my life, even though I've retired now. So those are the things that she said to me, and I, she, said, she asked me, she said, so will you remarry? I said, I, I, I don't know, I don't think so. She said, yeah, you will. <laughs> I said, what? She said, no, you, you'll remarry. Uh, I, said, wow. I said, that's all right? Yeah, you, you need to. And so you'll re I think she thought I needed adult supervision or something. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, she said that I would remarry, and, and that has proven itself. So let's fast forward a, a, a little bit. Your your new wife is Pam. Her name is Pam, yes. Yes. and you know I, I want to kind of get into the weeds if I can with you on this because obviously I've never been remarried yeah. after divorce or in death. You know, tell me how you met Pam, and then we'll kind of jump from there. Well, Gil and I actually met Pam. Um, she had uh, had had a long career in retail and had left that to head up a ministry in Canada, and the ministry was Quiet Hour Canada. Mm. And she, had, she was a gospel musician, but now was getting invitations to preach. And that was not her training, and she didn't have sermons. And she was doing a mission trip with a distant cousin of mine, and she shared that concern with him. He said, you need to get in touch with my, my cousin, Mike. He preaches about everything you sing about. Mm. And so, uh, so she sent me an email. She went online and found my email address and sent me, you don't know me, my name is Pam. And she explained the situation and asked if I might help. I said, sure, I'll be happy to share sermons with you or anything else I can do. It's, it's fine. I'm happy to do that. I said, how, how can I get these to you? She said, well, you're coming to a camp meeting that I'm going to be at up in Canada. Mm -hmm. So maybe we can make the transfer there. I said, fine. So Gail and I met her while we were there, and I downloaded some um, sermons and some um, um, PowerPoints and all sorts of things for her. 
And we didn't have much of a contact after that, other than uh, maybe once or twice we, we talked about uh, online or by email about theology or preaching or whatever. I can't remember that there was much contact. Mm-hmm. Then after, after Gail died, there came an event in my life which, which kind of made it crystal clear to me that I wanted to remarry. Um, you got time for the story? Yeah, absolutely. All yeah. right. I had agreed um, a couple of years before Gail died to do an evangelistic series for a friend of mine who was the former speaker director for La Voz de Esperanza, a Spanish speak, uh, radio program. And he also does some, did some video. Frank Gonzalez was his name. And he had left that ministry and had uh, gone to pastor a church in Florida. And he needed, he knew my style of evangelism and asked me to do that. And I'd said, sure, I'd do that. I had, uh, it's not the, my wheelhouse, but I've got you know, a few series that I'd done on television. And then um, I'm facing this coming up on it about seven months after Gail dies. And about a month beforehand, he sends me an email. Good news. Hope Channel is going to televise this. <laughs> I said, that's good news for you, but not for me, because I don't have anything I haven't already done on Hope Channel. Right. And he said, oh, you'll figure it out. I said, but I, I and at the time, I couldn't write about anything other than the loss. I said, I right. can't write. He said, you'll figure it out. Well, thanks a lot, Frank. <laughs> so I tried to write and for weeks and I couldn't write a word and I just oh. I just studied and prayed and finally when it came time I, I went to Florida without one word written really yeah and we got television broadcast coming up and and I'm gonna have to do this to a countdown clock and I need to preach to the right time or a tape editor is gonna have it my material and that's never good yeah. and I've got to do six uh, 12 sermons in six nights oh. is how he wanted to do this and so I'm thinking and praying, and finally about as close as 20 minutes before the next broadcast, the next taping, I would get an outline in my head. And I wow. preached 12 sermons and six nights that were brand new sermons uh, without having written a word. Oh. And, and the worst I missed my time by was two seconds. Wow. No wow. one does that. Yeah. yeah. And yet, I did. so I knew this was a God thing. And, and I'm driving back to the hotel and thinking, I need to call. And I realized I had no one to call. We'd been traveling so much, I didn't have any close friends anymore. And there was no one who would understand what I'd just done yeah. and how God had blessed me. And so I'm feeling sad. And I go back to the hotel room and I turn on television. And there comes our television program. It opens up to, to Hope Channel where our, our TV show, Lifestyle Magazine, was airing, and Gail was the lead interviewer. She was doing a solo interview with a cancer survivor, of all things. Oh, wow. And I sat there on the bed and watched that and, until it, it, over, it was over, and I just cried like a baby. Wow, that's but it was, just horrible. It was painful. But it was then, that night, that I knew that I didn't want to live my life this way. Mm-hmm. That if God would bless me with another love, uh, with another opportunity, um, to, to do something, to have a, a life partner that I would avail myself of that opportunity. And, um, and so not long after that, I, I, without really thinking about a, an individual in mind, I reached out to two or three people who I thought would be at least good people to chat with online because I was traveling so much. I didn't have anybody to do that with. Mm-hmm. Men are bad at this, and a mm-hmm. woman who's married, is that's awkward. So I found a, a couple of women who live far enough away from me I thought would be okay. And Pam said yes, and she's the only one who's stuck. And mm-hmm. I thought, well, she lives in Canada. I live in Texas. We're safe. 
Yeah. Well, so much for safety. Uh, <laughs> right, right. And so that, that relationship developed into something more. And, uh, and then we eventually got married. So do you, did you feel pressure, Mike, to that you were moving too quickly or other people would yeah. think you're moving too quickly? Because I know that, you know, that's one of the, you know, in, in your mind, you, it feels forever. Yeah. And other people's minds who are on the outside think, oh, my gosh, yeah. this is disrespectful to your yeah. former wife. Right. Well, how can you do this? This is looking yeah. like, you know, like, like a mess. But, yeah. you know, you've already gone through the process, unlike other people who are on right. the outside. So how do, how do you reconcile that? You, you, you don't do it well, okay. but, uh, but what I did find out is that uh, the research show, shows that most men who have had a long-term successful marriage who lose that spouse to death remarry within 10 to 15 months. Mm-hmm. And I've always wondered why that was true. I thought maybe, you know, they're trying to fix the pain or something, but I really believe that I know why it's true now. Well, tell me, tell me about after I tell you this joke. Okay, go okay. ahead. Go and that it. is because, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I've done bereavement counseling. And yeah. In bereavement circles, there's a, a joke that says, women mourn, men replace. Oh, yeah. So, so tell me what, what you believe is to be true. What, what I believe is this, especially if you've done the work of grief, which I, I'm confident I did, mm-hmm. is that most men don't have relationships of intimacy. We don't, we don't do intimacy. We don't understand it. We don't know what is intended or what is meant by that. Mm-hmm. And if you have an intimate relationship, if you are fortunate enough to have one, you usually only have one, and that is your spouse. Mm-hmm. And I discovered that that was what was true for me, that I'd only had one genuinely intimate relationship in my life, and that was her. Mm-hmm. And because of that, most of the joy and most of the satisfaction, most of the... Uh, happiness that I'd had in my life and all the good experiences had been multiplied or even experienced because of my, my intimate relationship with this one individual. Uh-huh. And I knew I didn't want to live without that kind of intimacy again. Uh-huh. And, and men don't do that well with each other. The, yeah. the David Jonathan relationship is a rarity. Yeah. Yeah. It almost yeah. never happens. Yeah. That's very true. And so uh, the only place you're going to find intimacy is with a, a person of the opposite sex. And usually that's only going to take place in, in a marriage. Mm-hmm. I believe that men remarry, and some may remarry to replace. Mm-hmm. But, but I believe that for those of us who have done the grief work and do it intentionally and do it well, you remarry because you realize you want joy again, and joy only comes through intimate relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was doing some fantastic work and being blessed, and I had no one with whom to share it. I had no intimacy in my life other than my intimacy with God, and I wanted human intimacy. I wanted it again, and I needed it again, and, and I was fortunate enough to find that again. So... You know, fast forward, you're married, you're laughing, there's joy, there's, there's yeah. intimacy, there's the feeling of contentment. Yes. Uh, where, where does the guilt come in for that? Like, did you feel, you know, guilt that you were able to move forward and, you know, leave Gail behind in, in many respects? The first day you find yourself uh, not crying, you feel guilty. Mm-hmm. The first day you go a couple of hours without remembering her, you feel guilty. Uh-huh. The first day you laugh again, you feel guilty. Uh-huh. The first day people say, it's good to see your smile again, you feel guilty. Uh-huh. So guilt is an ever-present reality 
throughout the entire process, especially as you get better. The, the truth is, when we, when we love greatly, we grieve greatly. Uh -huh. And grief becomes the tribute we pay to the person we have lost. Uh -huh. But eventually that tribute must change. It changes from, from grief to a tribute of life. Uh -huh. uh, we, we loved well because we lived well, and we lived well because we loved well. Uh -huh. So now the new tribute is no longer, I, I'm in sorrow, I'm, in, I'm, I'm the man of perpetual mourning, you know. Now yeah. the tribute is, uh, I, I have chosen to live again. I, I have one life, and I'm going to live it well, and I live it as a tribute to the person I've lost. Oh, that's so, beautiful. So yeah, the, you know, the guilt comes in, but I'm, I have to think things through before I do them. And, um, and this felt right, and it seemed right, and I, I, I believe with all my heart that this became my new, my new tribute to Gail, was the decision to live well, the decision to, to live with joy and with happiness, which is why I believe she told me that I would remarry. So I'm, I'm going to be celebrating my 20th wedding anniversary in about a, about, about, about a month from now. And... You know, even in just 20 short years, there's a cadence, there's a yeah. routine, there's, there's unsaids. I mean, that's probably, probably the biggest thing in, in grief that I hear from, you know, clients is, is all the unsaids mm -hmm. is wonderful because you don't have to do, you know, it, you worked all that out, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And so now you have this with a whole new person and you have yeah. to learn a new cadence, a new style. Like, can you describe that? I mean, how, how was that for you? You know, I went through that when I was 23 and got married. Mm -hmm. Going through it at 64, 65 is a little, <laughs> a little different experience. Yeah. I, you know, yeah. at 65, it, it, it is uh, a, slower, a slower growth pattern and mm. a slower experience uh, because, you know, I've, I'm pretty set in my ways. Right. And so I have to learn again to be flexible. Mm -hmm. And I have to learn again to accommodate another person, not try to replicate an old life, mm -hmm. because that's not respectful to, to Pam. Mm -hmm. And uh, instead, I need to find a way to, to find that new cadence, as you put it, with this wonderful woman who has uh, graciously agreed to share my life with me, uh, and I with her. And so um, it, it is a, an eye-opening experience for the guy who's done marriage counseling and marriage education uh -huh, uh -huh. for 40 years. And um, yeah, just, just as a, just as a uh, sidebar for our, our listeners, um, Mike has been doing a seminar, a very popular seminar for decades called Mad About Marriage. So he has been a, a teacher on marriage. So I can, right. I can see how, what a difference that would be for you. Yeah. So, you know, there's, there needs to be a new chapter to the, uh, to the seminar now. Um, so tell, tell me what, what are some kind of lessons learned? Someone's listening to this podcast, um, they're a widow, a widower, they're thinking about kind of sinking their feet into this next life. Um, what are some of the lessons learned that, that you could, could share? I, I would say, first of all, um, no one knows what the right time is but you. Hmm. Um, it is important to be probably more considerate of your children's feelings than, than I was. They've come along, but I probably pushed them along. Mm -hmm. 
because I was ready and and when I knew that intimacy was available I it was hard to dissuade me uh-huh. Uh-huh. and they they suffered through that uh-huh. um, and that was not Pam's fault it's not you know it's just the fact that they had grieved at a different pace they had lives to lead and and I had one job and that was to grieve uh-huh. Uh-huh. and I did it with every waking moment they had to put that on hold during the day while they attended to careers and families and everything else. So I think that that's one. Uh, another lesson learned is that uh, your, your life and those um, cadences will change, roles will change, um, and you have to be open to that. And if you're not open to that, don't remarry. Mm-hmm. If you're not open to making the same level of changes you made and maybe even greater when you first got married, don't remarry. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the, another lesson is, uh, and I, uh, this one has been a happy lesson for me because I think I anticipated this well, and that is that you don't just m- marry the girl, you marry the whole family. <laughs> even, even later in life, yeah. Even later in life. Yeah. Pam has a daughter. Uh, she raised for 26 years as a single parent, which, mm-hmm. uh, something of which I'm in awe because she is a marvelous young woman. Mm-hmm. She's a few years younger than my, my youngest, um, and she's an absolute delight, mm-hmm. and, and I'm happy to call her my daughter. Mm-hmm. I, I told her going into this, I said, all right, all right you got a daddy, mm-hmm. and my job is not to replace him, but to whatever degree you want me to serve as a father figure to you, and wh- however close you want this to be, that's your call, and I'm good with it. Mm-hmm. If it's really intimate, then I'll be, I'll be a, a close father figure to you. If it's distant and that's what you want, you need that space, that's what I'll be for you. Mm-hmm. Just you call the shots. And she has chosen a, 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 a very cordial and, and I think close relationship with me. And, <laughs> and so I, I'm just thankful for that. She's a lovely, so knowing that and, and recognizing you have to make an accommodation as a new member of a family, an already established family often, yeah, and be ready point. to make that accommodation. How do you, one of the questions I'm asking all of my guests on the series is how do you avoid comparing your current love with your yeah. previous love? It's just a discipline on my part. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are two different people. It is not fair to either of them to make a comparison. Mm-hmm. They're different personalities, different life experiences, uh, different backgrounds. And as such, uh, all comparisons are going to be inevitable from the outside, uh-huh. but I really, really, really try hard not to make those comparisons um, on this side of the marriage. Uh-huh. And, and she has to do the same too, because she was married before and was divorced for 26 years. And although that is a more distant memory for her, still there's the potential that that could, that could take place. Yeah. And not just comparisons, but transference even, you know, to uh-huh. uh, if there's unfinished business there to transfer it to me. She's been very good about that as far as I know. Uh-huh. Uh, she's never said anything that would lead me to believe otherwise. And so uh, it just becomes a discipline. And yeah. if ever that crops up in your mind, you say, this is not fair to her, it's not fair to, to Gail, and I'm not going to go there. This is an individual with different wants, needs, likes, personalities, and I need to deal with her as her and nobody it, else. It, it, it's so interesting talking to you because it's such, it's so clear that I'm talking to 
a professional counselor, just some of the language that you use and, you know, some of the, your vocabulary. But I do think that you're, you just nailed it. And that is, if you're writing, I'm sure you're writing a book on this. Uh, there, there, there needs to be a chapter on transference because yeah. I think that is a huge yeah. component that, that sinks into marriages without yeah. people realizing yeah. it. I've written a book on grief, but uh, Pam and I both discussed that there's probably another book in the making having to do with um, the second time around, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and, and how that happens and what to look out for and what the dangers and advantages are. Uh, if anyone's interested, I have written a book on my experience. It's called Tears to Joy, One Man's Journey Through Grief, and that's available. I think someone found it on Amazon, but uh, at AdventistBookCenter.com, or you can get it at... Um, faithfortoday.tv at their e-store, which is available either place. Okay. Also, uh, we have completed a small group curriculum just before I left Faith for Today uh, that, is in, that is designed for churches or other civic groups to use for, for group support for people going through grief entitled The Grief Sessions. Okay, that's Six great. Week, Six-week DVD and book-based curriculum that would be as easy for laymen to, to use um, mm-hmm. Um, and to to provide a, a just protective environment. Those are two products that if, if people are interested, could be of some value to you, uh, your own journey through grief. Mike, one of the things, uh, questions I ask every single guest is, what are you binge watching these days? <laughs> right now, Pam and I have, have been very nostalgic and we are binge watching old episodes of MASH. Oh my goodness. I loved MASH when it was brand new. And so yeah. we decided just why not? Let's go back and watch it. So we're in season eight. There were eleven seasons of this. Really? There was eleven seasons 11 of MASH. Eleven seasons of wow. MASH. The final episode at the time was the most watched F- TV show ever at the time. Yeah, I remember reading that. Out. Yeah. Um, and I fell in love with the characters then. I thought it was a well written comedy and yeah. it was just well done, especially for the day. And so we've been going back through, and, and truthfully, the show that I have spent far much, uh, too much time watching that, that show and reruns, there are places where I can, I can say the punchline before they do. So oh, really? That is awesome. Is, so is, that on, is that on Netflix or where are you watching uh, it? We're watching it on Hulu. I think okay. it's also on Netflix and okay. other places. But anyway, that's... It's just the silliness we decided to do with some of the time we would have been working. <laughs> so, that, that is hilarious. But we're hey, both enjoying it. I love that. I love that. Would you be willing to pray for our, our listeners today? Just anybody who's going through grief, somebody who just needs kind of just an injection of hope for them. Um, would you be willing to do that? I would be delighted to. All right. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the opportunity Kumar and I have had to visit. And I thank you that others will be listening into this. And hopefully, Lord, by your grace, by your spirit, there'll be something of value here for someone who's listening. And right now, Lord, there's someone who's, uh, who's listening to this discussion who's gone through a loss of some sort. It, it may be a career loss, a health loss. It may just be the losses that all of us experienced with, with COVID. Or it may be the loss of a spouse, a child, a loved one, a friend, a, a, a loss through person uh, death, or maybe a divorce. You know the situation, Lord. All of these losses hurt. There's no comparing the pain. Pain is pain and it hurts like crazy and sometimes you feel paralyzed. For that person who's listening now who just feels paralyzed and overwhelmed with this pain, 
I pray, Lord, that you'll share with them the fact that there is joy available to them. There's hard work ahead. They need to lean into this, do the work of, of grieving, think, talk, write, cry, tell the stories over and over again. Help them to know how to do this, Lord, but also help them to reach out to someone who can help them, uh, to, to go to a support group, to find something online, to read a book, uh, to just talk to a friend or a counselor. Help them to know that help is available and that you have promised that you will walk through the valley of the shadow of death with them. They are not alone and that eventually you can restore joy. There is no such thing as recovery, but there is an adjustment and we find a new normal and we can rediscover joy and peace. So I pray, Lord, that that journey to joy and peace will be facilitated by friends, by good reading, and especially by you and your spirit. Grant us that peace today, Lord. And we thank you in advance of seeing it. But we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for that beautiful prayer. Thank you, sir. And thank you for joining me and sharing uh, so much of yourself. I really appreciate, appreciate it. Honored to do so. Thanks for listening to the Concierge Minister Podcast. If you want to learn more about growing in your faith or looking for an online faith community for support while you're on your journey, please visit conciergeminister.com or send us an email at conciergeminister at gmail.com. Don't forget to click the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating. If you find this podcast helpful, please tell your friends about us. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, go and live your best life.